0: Welcome once again to another creator chat um, with Alia Graphic Novels and Comics. Um, I'm James, I'm from the the Secretary of the Group and I'm from the Melbourne Athenaeum Library in, uh, funnily (laughs) enough, Melbourne. Um, And uh, I'm coming today from um, Wurundjeri Land and uh, I would like to pay my respects to Um, the Elders past and present from that land. And as a national group, I would like to um, extend those respects to the uh, Elders um, of all the uh, Indigenous peoples of this land that we call Australia um, and uh, acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. So today I'm here with uh, Gary Proudly, and he's a comics creator, also based in Melbourne. Um, he's been writing comics for uh, some time now. Uh, has um, recently released his the second in the Telgard series. Um, so two two volumes of of that out at the moment. Uh, he's also um, got uh, Proudheart currently in print, which is a retelling of um, the story of Achilles and Patroclus. And I believe um, also you have uh, a retelling of Plato's Allegory of the Cave currently available. Yep,
1: that's yeah. also right.
0: Yeah. So have I missed anything?
1: Um, no, I believe that's it. Oh. Everything that's, that's currently out, there's yeah. a lot more coming. Um,
0: yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And you've also been... Um, editor on a heap of gestalt comics things that's right yes so, yeah.
1: most notably the deep from uh, tom yep. taylor and james Brown. yeah yeah a bunch of other things as well
0: yeah so that's quite a quite a resume um uh but how did you like how did you get into comics that's um you know what's led to this
1: Um, sort of as a fairly standardised story, like most people, it was, uh, me being 12 years old and superhero comics, because those two things go together quite well, 12 years old and superheroes, um, which, you know, is where it started. Um, my father used to bring uh, a chocolate for me home every, every Friday afternoon. And One week he decided that maybe he'd bring something a a little better for me. So he brought home a, a comic book and yeah, that's where my love started.
0: And he was so, um, he was of the, um, I, uh, mindset that, that comics are good for you. It wasn't Absolutely. one of the, what it wasn't, uh, you never had any of the, oh, comics are, are terrible, comics are, you know, um, so always, mm. you've, you've always had a, had that good relationship with comics right through.
1: Not, not from at home. Obviously, the world at large, says yeah, that a lot. <clears throat> um, and it's something we hear a lot, but. I, I've just stopped engaging with that now. Yeah. I, I feel that's a settled matter. Um, if somebody doesn't want to believe that comics are uh, literature or comics have something to say, then they're the one missing
0: out, not me. Yeah, it's a, I, I like that attitude. It's, mm. um, so on the flip side, we're a, we're a library um, organisation. What's your experience been with libraries?
1: Uh, brilliant. Um, I love libraries. Libraries were school holidays to me, um, sort of first week of school holidays we'd go down to the library and I'd pick up a dozen books. I can't name the number of authors that I found at a library. Um, and more recently libraries have been something with my, so I've got a four-year-old and uh, they do like kids' book readings at library, which is just a brilliant way to get my son around other people his own age and engaged in books and, and enjoying them as a as a concept, as a medium, as a whatever you'd like to call it.
0: No, that's great. So the generational love mm. of libraries is definitely there. Yeah. yeah. And so what about as a, as a comic creator? Have you had much to do with libraries in that respect?
1: Honestly, not much. Mostly that's uh, dealt with by my publisher. Which um, means that I've sort of been blithely ignorant and carried on happily. But uh, yeah, my my publisher generally is is the one who interacts with libraries and gets our books in the the libraries. I, I've had very little to do with it, to be honest, which is you know um, probably bad. But it's, it's it's just the reality.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's it's bad. It's um the the path that that's that's taken we're obviously we're interested in in um that uh partnership and collaboration between between creators and and libraries but um if that hasn't happened then that's an opportunity to come um and yeah and we we love some of the creators that we've spoken to have have um had events and like comic writing workshops and stuff like that so we're always interested to to hear if that's something that that has been a part of your um your process or not so yeah yeah um is it is it something that you would is that the sort of thing that you would be interested in doing with libraries so those sorts of events and stuff
1: Uh, absolutely definitely um anything that can sort of uh for want of a much better word, proselytize comics. I think it's a great idea. Uh, anything that engages the community in libraries. I mean, I, I it makes it sound like I'm, I'm not a library person. I absolutely am, I'm just a patron. First yeah. and foremost, my interactions with libraries have almost always been as, as a person with a library card, going in and getting books and exploring new worlds. Um, it's just, I've taken it as granted that my, my publisher does what he needs to do to get my books into libraries, um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I've taken advantage of what libraries have to offer, as I said, with you know book readings for my son. So I'd love to give back and 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 do something in the other direction.
0: Yeah, oh, that's great, and I think and I think the strongest relationships with libraries do come when it has grown out of being a patron, a user, because then it's already familiar and it's already. Uh, it's not someone who isn't isn't aware of that coming in and trying to trying to then fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, so always love I mean always love new people to come into libraries but when it's people coming in to to do events and and as writers and all of that um, I think from what I've seen anyway they tend to be the stronger, the stronger ones is when, when it is uh, someone who already loves libraries and it sounds like you really do. So really, really happy about that. So yeah, um, we'll have to, the library end. we'll have to, um, try and do some more reaching out to, to you on occasion, I think. Um, so that's great. Um, and moving on to, to the stuff that libraries could have in them, um, if they talk to your publisher and talk to distributors, um, you had the second volume of Telgard came out this year. Yes. Um, the first one was 2019, I think, or? Was 2019, yeah. yes. Cool. I've got my notes correct then. <laughs> um, so what originally gave you the idea of doing a comic that's about a sword and sorcery barbarian? who uses intelligence to overcome obstacles. Um, as a D and D player myself, that seems uh antithetical to uh to what a barbarian is. Um but you've made you've done it, you've made it work. And I'm interested to know where that kind of came from.
1: Yeah, Talgard was like an, an odd thing where sort of three or four different strands came together to to make it happen and to make uh the character what he is um so as you've mentioned i've done a lot of editorial work so that means i spend a lot of time at comic conventions with young creators coming up to me and saying oh you know i want to get into comics what do i do i've got this you know uh epic 800 page sort of fantasy thing story that i've been writing since i was 18 or you know i've got this 300 page sci-fi uh multi-generational story and the, the advice that you have to give all sort of creators is start on a short story. If you get halfway through a story and realise you've made a mistake, that's fine if it's eight pages long, but it's a bit of a problem when it's 800 pages long. Um, so I was doling out this advice to all and sundry of work on short stories, work on short stories, and I thought maybe I should, you know, take a bit of my own advice and, and do it myself. Um, Now, obviously, I had, but not in a sort of this sense. Um, So when you're trying to do a a four-page story, you've still got your three-act structure. You introduce your problem, develop it, resolve it, you know, page one, two, three, four. Um, It would become rather boring if my barbarian character only cut his way through problems. Uh, That doesn't stay interesting for much more than four or five stories, I wouldn't think. Um, so almost the, the, the thinking is way out of problems came from the format rather than, which, you know, um, people say character first and that's great, but sometimes character is informed by things outside, like the format that you're working in. And the other thing as well is... Um, At the conventions, we'd get a lot of young comics artists come up with their work and they're they're trying to get their first job. Something like Talgard, where we've all got a different artist on absolutely every story, it meant that we could give work to new artists. Like Talgard is a lot of people's first published work. We also have some artists that are, are, you know, industry veterans and have been doing this for years and, you know, legends in their own right. But, you know, there's the mix there. So that, that sort of brought it together.
0: Yeah. So um you touched then on the format. Um and for those who haven't read any Telgard at this point, every story so the two volumes are collections of independent stories that are just linked by being the same about the same character, Telgard. Um, and they're all four pages, specifically four pages per story. Um, and so was there and you said it was this was about the short story advice that you were giving. Was there anything else driving that? Or was it just just that you here was a challenge that you'd set yourself because of the, the advice you're giving?
1: Uh it, it absolutely is a challenge. Like a four-page short story is hard to do. Um doing it in in series like that where it's the same character um is also a little hard. You've got to keep it fresh, keep it interesting, have them be. Um, Like, you can't do a lot of characterization development in four pages, but, you know, you do what you can. Um, But, yes, a a lot of it was, you know, taking my own medicine, taking my own advice, but a lot of it was the challenge involved too. Like, if if I was going to make it a little easier for myself, I'd make them eight-page stories. Um, Eight-page stories are... uh, Gives you just a little bit more room to breathe, a little bit more room to, to work with. Um, but another thing is, um, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a story that's common to many, many comic writers, certainly when they're starting out, is uh, a lot of projects die because artists lose uh, excitement. Um, an artist, especially at the sort of semi-professional level that I'm at where it's sort of part-time work, part-time comic artists are excited at the beginning of the story and they're excited towards the end, but everything in the middle is a slog and they're going to push through, whereas on a four-page story, it's nothing but beginning and end. There's, there's nothing but excitement. It makes it a lot easier to get somebody to agree to do a story for you when it's just four pages and, you know, maybe it's a week for them.
0: And I'm guessing, yeah, not only easier to get them to agree to it, but also um, easier to then get the work out of them once they've agreed to it too. Exactly right, yes. Um, So that's really interesting. And, yeah, so the working with different artists, you've always – each one so far has been done by a new artist um, that you've done. Is that – Going to continue? Are you interested in going back and doing second ones, second stories from any of the the artists?
1: Uh, I've gone back and worked with artists again, but not on another talegarden. Not on Tailgate, The yeah. idea is to have each four page story be a different artist. Uh, they all have the same colorist, Justin Randall, which helps produce a sort of consistency across the book. Mm. So it keeps it. They all feel the same because they have the same color palette the same uh, style of colouring throughout the whole book. Justin does a brilliant job of bringing together. Because, I mean, we have artists with very manga influence styles. We have artists with very sort of gritty noir styles. We have artists with poppy sort of, uh, you know, Marvel house-style superhero. There's the whole gamut of sort of comic book influences in Talgard, but. Justin manages to make it feel like a cohesive whole.
0: Yeah, and is there anything anything else you do to to ensure that? Like, I, I assume one person designed all the characters and then you give that design to the two artists who are working on it so you don't have Telgard in one with, you know, spiky hair and then in the next it's, you know, long dreads or something like that.
1: Uh, yeah, so, like, a lot of Mark Noble was the the person who designed Talgard, and there was a lot of uh, back and forth between Mark and I. Mark's a brilliant artist, um, but I wanted something that would be obviously on uh, the same character, even if some other artist drew them not quite on model. So uh, the long dreadlocks tied together is, you know, with a beard is uh, fairly sort of... Um, Iconic, uh, you know, you you can you can recognise that character as that character, no matter what situation or art style they're in. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. So, and that's and does that go for multiples? Like, there are other recurring characters as well. So, you know, at what point do you say actually, I want to get a character like um, uh, Teardrill? Is that the right way to say it, Teardrill? Yes. (laughs)
1: Um, yeah, so uh, most of the time a character is designed by the person who drew the story in which they first appeared. So uh, the first Talgard story went out to Mark Noble. I had him design Talgard, obviously, put a lot of effort into Talgard's design. Uh, uh, Katie Houghton Ward designed Tittrell. Um She did a brilliant job on that one. Uh, but, you know, um, different. So uh, Sasha Brinning, who does our covers. Uh, did uh, the design of uh, Recall, um, which is Talgard's mentor, uh, so we we then send out some sort of his character sheets and reference that, that's put together by Wolfgang, the editor, that's sent out to anyone who's drawing a a story with that character in it. So they all get the Talgard character sheet. Uh, most of them get the Tidral character sheet because she's in most stories, and then there's a few other recurring characters throughout as well.
0: And then. It goes from there to, so this reference goes out to the artists. And then what's it like collaborating with so many different artists um, who are each going to have their own techniques, their own processes, their own styles? What's that like on the one project to get to work with all of those different... um... Yeah.
1: Um, So process-wise, it varies quite a lot. So um, obviously I've been in the Australian comics industry for quite a long time. So I know a lot of the artists that we're working with personally. Um, depending on on how well I know them, how much I interact with them on the, the process, uh, a lot of it actually does go through Wolfgang, the editor of the book. Um, so he maintains as a point of contact for, for most of the artists. Um, so it, depending on who it is, I don't have a lot of interaction. Uh, but... For example, I, uh, one of the last stories in the second volume was drawn by Tim McEwen, who I have a fairly established relationship with. So we had some back and forth on what we wanted on that on that book and, and what I saw and what Tim envisioned. and uh, it, it really is a horses for courses type situation. Depends on the artist. Um, I certainly don't want this to sound like I'm speaking out of turn, but a lot of artists don't want you to bother them. They want to do their thing and and be uh, um, creative in their space and not be unduly influenced. I mean, it would, generally speaking, be a bad idea for me to keep putting my two cents in because comics is supposed to be a collaborative medium and theoretically I'm the writer and they're the artist. So matters of visual communication, I should absolutely trust them. And if I'm telling them what to do, then you're getting my idea of what visual communication should be, not theirs. It would be a bad idea for me to impose my vision onto any of these artists because they're all going to be visually better at expressing themselves than I am. So, uh, so much of the time when I write my scripts, I, I try to tell the artist why I want something rather than what I want. Or, or both, so that if they have a better way of expressing that on the page, then they can absolutely do that.
0: And so where's the line for that if you are putting in something that you know is going to come up again or you know that has been shown in a particular way previously? Uh, where's the the line between the overall creative or multiple stories and the ability for the artist to be Creative on that specific four-page story that they're working on.
1: Yeah, if if it's a, a recurring character, I'll usually put a note in that says, uh, "See Talgard and the you know Soul Sword for reference on on what a Soul Sword should look like, or or see this story, that story for for reference. So if there's anything sort of specific like a character sheet that they need, I'll put a note in the in the instructions of the panel that the character first appears on. Um, with regards to the designing of new characters, uh, I'll quite often say um, what I need and why. Uh, so um, in, for example, the, just looking for which one I'm, Talgard and the Downfall of Nipur, Um there's a queen who's incredibly practical. So uh, the the instructions for the artist on that one were explaining that although she should look like a queen, she shouldn't be wearing overly ornate clothes. Um, That was uh, Stephanie Palladino who did an incredibly good job on that one.
0: So, yeah, so more giving them structure to work within than than, um, anything else. Yeah. I want to... Circle back to um, something that you said quite early on. Um, that part of why you did this is because of advice that you're giving to new people coming up and asking about how to get into comics, how to get into that. That's something that um, libraries actually, you know, funnily enough, we've got lots of readers and lots of readers of comics, novels, short stories, whatever, want to get into writing, um, or in the case of comics, art, anything like that. Um, do you have advice for people who are getting that question about how to best help these interested young people um, get started and find out if it's what they really want to do and all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely have advice. Um, the way I certainly go about it is I to them a little bit first and I find out where they are on their journey because the advice that I give somebody who's uh, 14 and haven't, hasn't thought about this much is very different to the advice I'd give someone who's 21 and they've already written several short stories and they're, you know, currently in a, a creative writing course. So, you know, it's important to give out advice that's tailored to the person that you're talking to, um, especially in that sort of library or for me, it's in a comic convention, that one-on-one discussion. Um, but the the things that I would say are um, start small and build up because the lessons that you learn in writing short stories uh, can be applied in long stories. Both in a, an overall structure way, but also by learning to write a short story. Short stories are almost always a single scene. Uh, lessons that you learn in writing a single scene can apply to, can be applied to individual scenes when you start writing longer stories. Um, I, I would also say read, read widely, read critically is important. Don't just read for enjoyment. Read a book and see what the author did well, what the author did poorly, what worked, what didn't work, and if possible, why. Um, Being able to identify these things doesn't mean that you're going to be able to recreate them, but it's an important first start. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. It's really good. So, yeah, and that's all stuff that I think, can be applied in in, libra- in a whole range of things. So yeah, that's um really really um useful insight I think for for a lot of librarians there. Um, so kind of moving away from Telgard now. Um, another one of the comics is that you've got um, mentioned before, Proudheart, which was first published twenty seventeen, um, yeah. still in print through Gestalt Comics. Um, and that tells uh, the story of Achilles and Patroclus from the Iliad, so Homer's epic from ancient Greece. Um, and the Iliad is one of the, or possibly the, most retold stories in existence. Um, so with so many tellings out there, what was it that drew you to this and to do your own retelling of this, of, of even this, this part of that story?
1: Um, well, you know, you, you're quite right in saying it's one of the most retold stories in existence. And certainly in the last several hundred years, one thing in common, a common thread of almost all of those retellings, is that Achilles and Patroclus are cousins. They're friends. They're best buddies. What they're not is portrayed as lovers. Um, that gets boulderized. it gets taken out, it gets removed because that's what we as a society have done. Uh, you know, there, there's like a, a ridiculous misconception that sort of homosexuality is like a recent thing, you know. Um, and, of course, that's absolutely nonsense. Um, you know, the biggest question for, for maybe not people contemporary to it being rude. But, you know, what we would think of as the ancient Greeks, the sort of classical period was basically who was the top and who was the bottom. There was never any question that they were homosexual men. Um, You know, societally, uh, as I understand it, um, sex was not considered as a thing that two people did. It was something that one person did to someone else. So, you know, baked into their language was that. So that was the debate that existed in classical antiquity about Achilles and Patroclus. And most of that was deleted, removed by modern, where modern means, you know, the last three or 400 years, scholars. Um, So I'd say in that respect, it's the only ground in the story that's reasonably fresh to retread. Um, and, you know, it shouldn't be left out.
0: Yeah. So, um, are there, are, are you aware of other versions of the Iliad that are currently available that have this? Or is your telling of this actually kind of unique at the moment, at least in English?
1: No, the, the most famous one, which I haven't read because I don't want to be unduly influenced by it, because um, it, it's, this is a book that's still in process so the the first issue was released but it's going to be released down the track as a uh, as a graphic novel retelling the entire iliad as a love story so that i mean that's the the central tenet of of proud heart is retelling the iliad as a love story the love story between achilles and patroclus but there's a uh, song of achilles is uh, the most famous one out there and i'm blanking at the moment on the name of the author bear with me a moment uh that's a, a prose um retelling of it it's uh, madeline miller sorry about that but i've I've very specifically not read that one because I don't want to be influenced and don't want to take on board her her um her viewing of that love story yeah
0: um well is that something that you um so is that something that that worries you? Um, generally in making stuff is is taking on someone else's view and putting that into your work?
1: Yes. Um, uh, After I finished a story, um, I'll quite often go and binge uh, movies, TV shows, books, comics that are similar in theme uh, to what I'm doing because uh, I I don't want... um, so, you know, taking Talgard as an example, nobody wants to read my version of Conan. <laughs> uh, what's the point? You may as well read Robert E. Howard's version of Conan. His is much better. Um, people might want to read my version of Talgard, though. Uh, it, it, I feel it's important to understand the, the genre that you're working in, but um, to do your own thing. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: Um, And so – and the way you do that is to try and avoid reading stuff that's – or exposing yourself to stuff that is too similar and beforehand and then watching a lot of stuff that is similar to make sure that you're a bit different afterwards?
1: Uh, So – What what, what usually happens is, so, I mean, obviously in the past I've read Conan books, but I didn't reread them in preparation of writing Talgard. And when I finished and I finally wrapped up my Talgard book, I'll go back and I'll read all the sword and sorcery, which is what Talgard is, that people have been recommending to me while I've been working on it because, uh, you know, when you stop yourself from enjoying something, you crave it even more. So you know, by the the sort of injunction on myself, no sword and sorcery. Um, like the only thing I've read of sword and sorcery in the last four years would be Headlopper, which I was assured was nothing like Talgard, and it's not, which is great. Um, there's a comic out there called Headlopper, which anyone listening should you know go and find. It's amazing.
0: Um. So does that then? So. To bring it back to Proud then then, um, is the, how much do you do research on the different versions of some of the other events? So obviously you've got the, um, the story about Achilles and Patroclus that you want to tell, but then you look at Agamemnon and Menelaus and Odysseus, and there are different retellings of these stories that have sometimes a little, sometimes quite wildly different personalities and things like that. So how much research do you do and how do you, like, separate that doing research from the potentially ending up with what you were just saying about having someone else's story being presented by you?
1: Yeah, um, like, uh, I I did quite a bit of research. Most of my research for Proud Heart, though, has been... um, different translations of the Iliad because you can get a very different feel. And I'm trying to find because, you know, not not speaking Greek or ancient Greek means that I'm reliant on the translators and how they bring uh, the traditional version to, to life in English. Um, so what I've tried to do is read prose versions to understand the content and uh, poetry versions to understand the feel. Uh, of the book, um, you know the the sort of uh, modern retellings. I'm, I'm happy to to watch or or read any sort of stuff like that, as long as it's not specifically a romance between Achilles and Patroclus. Um, then I'm I'm happy to to research as much as I can. Yeah,
0: um, and so that also brings us that the Iliad kind of fits sits in this weird. Space of almost biographical fiction for the for the people in there. There's um, some of, some of the people are considered legendary characters. Some of the people are considered uh, very real historical figures. The Trojan War is a it was an actual thing that happened. Exactly how we're not sure. Where do you see then? Well, the Iliad and your version in Proud Heart. Where does that fit in? the modern Western ideas of fiction, non-fiction and all of that?
1: Um, I, I, it's mythological. My, my version is, is a little bit more in line with uh, the original in that respect. Um, you, you're quite right that Troy was a city and it was sacked and um, I'm sure it was a, um, a thing of legend within lifetimes of people who were there. Um Certainly enough so that it was the basis for what Homer created. Um, but very much in the Iliad itself, there there are gods and the gods are characters um, and you know they influence the 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 war, the the people, the demigods involved. So um, like, for example, the Brad Pitt movie took all the mythology out. And that's fine, it's a valid interpretation of of what it was because I'm sure there must have been real events that inspired the epic, the poem. Uh, But, you know, uh, if I wanted to write a story about war, it would probably be a little different. So by throwing the gods in there, it becomes... um, yeah, it becomes epic. It becomes otherworldly. It becomes more remote um, because that's not what it's about. It's not about the war. It's about the love. Um, so that helps my story, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, so the yeah, plenty of wars, but this one is um, the the gods and and I guess because that was a big part of of the original was the the idea of fate and that kind of everything that was happening right from um, the the golden apple of of Aphrodite right through to um, Odysseus returning home at the end of the Odyssey there was an element of um, of God's fate having that hand is that is that a big part in, in your retelling or is that just kind of the the Jumping off point for this,
1: um, more the jumping off point. I, I haven't sort of delved too much into to what's fated and what's not fated. Um, I, I think it um, it's fertile ground for exploring. You know the difference between fate and and choosing your own fate, making your own fate. Um, but yeah, it's it's not what I'm looking to explore on this one. Um, there's uh you know a a lot of the elements of the iliad aren't in the iliad you know the horse uh, is not in there Uh, a lot of you know the the um the golden apple and paris choosing the most beautiful goddess not the Iliad. they're all in the the cycle but not not in itself so there's a lot of um things that you carry with the iliad um that just come with it that are outside it just by virtue of it being, you know, the oldest part of the Western canon, I think. Um,
0: so you, you, so your telling is trying to very closely stick to being the Iliad or
1: are you...? No, some of that no I guess something? what I mean is there's just so much that comes with it that you can get lost in the woods. Yep. Um, so my my watchword, my focus has just been the love story between these two men. And, you know, um, I, I feel comfortable about telling this love story even as a straight guy because this was a society in which these men were treated very much the same way I'm treated as a straight, white, cisgendered male. Um, they were just men who are in love and... That was the end of it. Like I, I wouldn't feel comfortable telling a story about coming out. That's not my story to tell, uh, you know, much in the same way that I wouldn't feel comfortable telling a story about, you know, uh, being an immigrant or I, I'll certainly have those characters in my story, but that can't be the central focus of the story. But I'm a man who has been and is in love and that's what this story is about and that's what I'll focus on. And the the, the things that are happening around them, uh, the the context rather than the content, and it is very easy with the Iliad to get lost in the woods because it's an epic with so much uh, around it, so much being built around it. You know, uh, you you pick any any character at all in the Iliad, and there's a story somewhere about that specific character in, in you know tradition. Um, it, it's very much like the root of the tree, almost of of later greek myths um so yeah it was very important for me to stay focused on the love story between these two characters these two men
0: and what about the other love stories that pop up how much do they play a part in it so because you have um paris and agamemnon and helen and you have um the uh and again i'm not sure if this is part of the iliad or if it's some of the baggage that um, the extra stuff that you were saying, um, the Cassandra, I think it is, the CRS, um, and the the priest who believed her, um, and the brotherly love between Paris and Hector. How much do these other love stories play a part um, with within the the love story of of um, Achilles and Patroclus?
1: Yeah, um, not a lot. Uh, The Cassandra stuff I'm pretty sure does come later and the the Paris, uh, house and um, uh, uh, Helen stuff, I guess if anything serves as a contrast and, you know, these guys, uh, Achilles and Patroclus have a great relationship and there's this terrible, toxic, you know, war relationship. Um, so, if anything, there is a, a contrast to be served there, but you know, um, you can sit and list the the characters and subplots in this this story for you know many hours. So it would be so easy to get lost in all those. Um, but really, it's just the, um, the the context and the the setting almost for the story of of this love. Um, obviously, I have to build up Hector. Um, a fair bit to, to give Achilles a foil. Um, so Hector and his wife get a few scenes. Um, so their love, but you know, that's just as a, a, you know, you have to care about the character.
0: This has been really interesting. Are you, so you're still going with, with the Telgard stuff and you're planning more from, uh, with the, in this proudheart series and then eventually the, Graphic novel of the of the Iliad as this love story. Um, anything else on the horizon, and uh, any uh, any other projects we should be looking out for? Or anything, and when are we looking at more of the Iliad and more of Telgard um, being available for people?
1: Uh, I'm I'm not certain with the Iliad one. Uh, Telgard, I'm already well underway on tome three. And I'm also doing a, a graphic novel uh, of Talgard. I've got um, uh, I've got a, a few other things in there in various stages of completion. Um, there's always quite a long lag between something being written and something coming out with comics because artists work so hard and so long. Uh, you know, it's very easy for me to type. You know. A thousand ships on the horizon, then, you know, that's 14 hours for my artist to draw, you know, 10 words that I've written. Um, But I've got um, book three of Talgard. I've got uh, some sci-fi stuff coming up that um, deals with, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, there used to be a prevailing view that Nazis were bad. that seems to have disappeared somewhat, which is scary. So, you know, there's some pretty ham fisted sci fi of mine that is, you know, reminding people hey, Nazis are bad. Let's not forget that. Um, I've got some stupid stuff coming out too. Like I've got a um, uh, kaiju comic coming because, you know, things can be fun as well as literary. Uh, so I've got um, Kongyu Tan, which is, you know, legally distinct from king kong uh a giant orangutan fighting the kraken because why not
0: yeah yeah that sounds that sounds fun um and so if people want to keep up to date with with what's happening so i know that you also have a lot of the telgard stuff is also available on your website
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, Um, So they can find that at garyproudly.com. That's proudly with an E towards the end.
0: Yeah, and we'll put that in the the description as well. Awesome, thank you. That link. Anywhere else that people should be looking to check out? And obviously you said talk to your publisher being um, Wolfgang at um, Comics, if libraries want to get the hard copy versions of Telgard or ProudHeart or any of those.
1: Yeah, or um, the uh allegory of the cave
0: the um,
1: yeah uh probably the best place to find me outside of gestalt Comics' website would be on twitter where i'm uh, at gary underscore because you know twitter is a, a writer's medium and i feel awful on instagram posting the work of my collaborators
0: yes yeah, so i i think there are a lot of librarians out there who who sympathize with that um mm. uh Twitter is definitely a a library um, industry space as well. So Mm. um, we're we're good with words, uh, Mm. not necessarily, um, certainly not speaking for all librarians, but uh, not necessarily as comfortable um, engaging visually sometimes. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so um, good to know that Twitter is a good, and we'll put that in the the description as well. Um, But before we finish up, we ask this of all our guests who come in and have um, have a chat with us. Um, what are three comics or graphic novels that you've enjoyed recently um, and that you would encourage others to to check out?
1: Yeah. Um, well, the first one is I've been rereading uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman. Uh, Preludes and Nocturnes is the first volume. If you haven't read that, do yourself a favour. Go out, find it. Um, that is absolutely part of the Western canon of comics. Um, it is uh, almost uh, in a class of its own. It's amazing.
0: And do uh, you and should you see the Netflix series then read the comic or read the comic then see the Netflix series?
1: Uh, either direction that you want to do it will work just fine. Um, they're very much cut from the same cloth. They're, they've got the same feel. Um, When we were talking earlier about advice for um, young creators, and I said, read, read critically, um, taking something that's been adapted to two mediums and reading both or or consuming both and uh, comparing the two, seeing what works in one medium, what doesn't work in that medium, I think that's a brilliant sort of way to do, especially something like that where Neil Gaiman had his hand in both. So there's a, a consistency of vision. It's just, I mean, the main difference is is the medium. You know, sure, there's also, you know, 40 extra years on Neil Gaiman's life and you're talking to a 60-year-old rather than a 20-year-old. But, you know, um, that that's probably a, a, a really useful thing. Um, what else have I been reading at the moment? Uh, Headlopper, as I mentioned Um, That's uh, A lot of fun And I think that, you know Comics should be fun Uh, It's a a Sword and sorcery Sort of uh, adventure about Somebody who chops heads uh, Off Enormous monsters And that's by Andrew McLean That's right, that's the one, yes Good, good, uh, Good on that um, I should have mentioned. Um, what else have I read recently? Um, this will seem like a, a, you know, cross-promotion thing with Gestalt, but there's a book that recently came out by an Australian creator called Paul Mason, who, um, Doctor of Comics, is an incredible creator. A book called Flock that um, you need to read to believe. It's a, a fictionalised account of the emu war, um, and it's, bonkers and amazing and fun
0: yes yes i've i managed to pick myself up a copy of that at um the perth comic arts festival this year and uh yeah it's it's um it looks like it's going to just be silly and it is so much it is silly but it is so much more than that as well it is Um, yes yeah so well they're three amazing suggestions and um again i i I've said this the last few times, but I always like it when I haven't read Headlopper, and I'm always excited when um, with the person that I'm talking to has suggestions that I haven't read, and and I get to go out and find it and read it and um, and experience something that's come so highly recommended by such um, uh, industry industry greats, um, such as yourself. Thank you. Um, so, and I think that's uh, everything we ha- I had uh, planned for the interview. So, unless there's anything else you wanted to,
1: no. I mean, this has been
0: great. Well, thank yeah. you. Uh, thank you again, Gary. No, thank
1: you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Alia Graphic podcast. Hit the subscribe button on our YouTube page and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Alia Graphic. Email us at aliagraphicinfo at gmail.com and check our blog, aliagraphic.blogspot.com for updates, monthly roundups of news and new release titles.